Thanks for visiting studiolighting.net. You're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode three of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net for November 15th, 2005. StudioLighting.net introduces photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On today's show, we have an audio article for you. We're going to be focusing on beginner studio lighting kits, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, Ed, what's new in studio lighting this month? Well... Lowell has introduced the Ergo Digital Imaging Light, and uh, um, yes. you had a pretty good description for it, Bill. Yeah, it looks like somebody took a piece of plexiglass and sort of bent it in a half moon shape. It almost looks like a retro, modern sort of table lamp more than like something you might get at Ikea or something. Exactly. Um, but it's an interesting approach. I mean, you kind of set it there, and it acts like a little uh, curved softbox type of thing. But it's pretty small. It's only like... Like what, 18 inches high or something yeah, like that? I think it's more for your still photography and small object photography. Lighting a soda can or yeah. jewelry for eBay or something Tabletop like that. Tabletop stuff. And I guess with the curved surface like that, it probably would give decent reflections and things. So it looks like something worth checking out. I actually, now that we're talking about this, I think I saw it at B&H when I was oh, yeah? walking down the aisle. It, it struck me because it's you know, all this really nice lighting equipment and there's this little thing off to the corner. I was like, that is that? But yeah, it strikes <laughs> you like that. Definitely stands out in the crowd. I think I saw a review on it somewhere that said that they really wished it had more output. Oh, really? So you might be stuck with higher, I'm sorry, lower apertures. Yeah, and as soon as Lowell sends us a box full of them, we'll we'll let you guys know how that works (laughs) out. (laughs) Yeah, I'd really be interested in trying two of them side by side to see if... uh, There you go. Some kind of output we get out of them. Absolutely. Double diffused uh, uh, egos. But if you're using, like Paul said in our show the other week, though, you know, if you're using an inanimate object and you're on a tripod doesn't matter really what the light is it's just the difference of whether you're pouring that light over time or just dumping it all at once like you do with a strobe so that's right so output, output doesn't not matter sure that's a really good point because in in a in a situation with still photography or still lights you know uh, you have the time to wait and it's not like unless it's food or something like that because this is a hot light so you, you might have some temperature issues but i think it has a fluorescence to it i, I oh, seem to remember them really? saying that it was a, a fairly low temperature light. well then there goes i mean that's not even a concern so you could leave your shutter open for as long as you want of course i'm probably gonna be wrong and <laughs> lol's gonna be like uh please retract that statement <laughs> Again, when they send us the uh, crate full of <laughs> egos, we'll confirm that. Um, Corel released a new version of their Painter software, Essentials 3, which I have Painter. Do, have you used this? I've used Painter for well, a number of versions now. Back when, and Corel, if you're listening, you had the best marketing scheme like on version 2. You need to release it in the paint can again. I love the paint can. That was the paint the can's gone, and I am so upset I about the paint can. I still have the paint can somewhere just because it was such a cool Corel, thing. bring it back. And Fractal it, had a great idea with it. Inside of it was like a, a Pantone spread thing that had all the features of the software. You could oh, fan it yeah, out. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, that and was really cool. And the big long stuff. poster that you could put with all the effects. Yep, stuff goes a long way. But yeah, I mean, Painter's great for doing painterly effects. But I, I find myself being more a Photoshop guy because I, I tend to go for the realism aspect instead of the painting aspect of things. Right. But I've opened some photography in Painter before and just sort of done things on top of it, give you that sort of impressionistic look. I mean, honestly, I haven't used it in a kind of professional setting, but it does it does have a lot of really neat applications. If you have like a pen tablet and you have a photo and you're sort of just you know playing with right. some of the paint over top of a photo, 
or for hand tinning and things like that it works out really well because personally anyway i think like the watercolor effect for example in painter feels a lot more like actual watercolor oh sure than the one in photoshop so if you're if you're someone who's into digital hand coloring, that might be something of interest. I definitely think that Pharrell has a uh, a much better handle on mimicking the natural painting effects more right. so than Photoshop. Definitely. While we're talking about software, we may as well talk about Apple's new software, Aperture. Yeah, that's an excellent thing to bring up because have you checked this out? I watched the demo of it, oh, and um, I, I'm ready to buy a new Mac. <laughs> it's the kind of product that makes you want to switch to a Mac just to use it. I mean, it looks like it might be that useful. Have you looked at the specs of what it requires, though? No. <laughs> Pretty intense. <laughs> well, the recommended system requirements, which, you know, software, that's never really the recommended. That's what probably should be listed as the minimum, typically, sure. with software. The recommended minimum requirement is two gigabytes of RAM. Oh, man. And processor, dual two gig processor oh wow so there goes you're using that on a laptop for now <laughs> that's, that's they intense. say in the minimum requirements that you can use i forget what they said a 1.8 g5 okay um there is one whatever the top level laptop is they say that it could use aperture could be used on that but i would think with all of the the real-time raw tools and that little that cool little loop thing they have this thing it's like a loop that in your preview window you can drag this little tool over top of, like, say, a nose or portion of your lip or, like, corner of your eye, and it brings out this circle. Just like it's a, like a, it's a light, great, like a real loop. It's kind of, it's exactly like looking through a real loop. Apple did a great job with bringing in real-world metaphors with this, and you see the raw processed image in real time with the right sharpness, the right, you know, color saturation, etc. Whatever you have adjusted, you can loop it and check it out at full size and wow. i would think tools like that is why you really need the ram and even though it says two gigs you probably want more uh but yeah aperture is pretty intense and i think some of the intensity comes through in the price yeah the price is a little steep it is 499 for it but you know top raw converters such as like capture one pro good point they're 499 yeah and no one's really balked at those prices that's true and i guess it comes down to like my first impressions were oh wow that you know apple's putting out a consumer photo management application which is pretty good but then as i look deeper into it we're really talking about a professional tool here sure i mean this is something that's not going to be used by my parents for example with their point and shoot it's it's more than iphoto pro right so by far the coolest uh from our perspective, was the gaffer's tape wallet. Have you seen this? <laughs> yes, I did. This guy is making, you know, he's taking that duct tape wallet, that duct tape fashion one step further. He's using gaffer's tape, which just is going to hit home with a lot of you guys because uh, it's so cool. You, he has a bunch of different models and ways that they can be folded. And I was thinking, I mean, if you get in a jam, you could just like tear a piece off and, and hold <laughs> up some of your backdrop with it. It could come in handy. You never never can have too much gaffer's tape, as we, we've do, said before. Do you before. know if you can do that? That would be great if you could. I don't could. know, but that, see, wouldn't that be? You can kind of have a couple extra layers on the back of it. Yeah, I'll just stick these credit so. cards in my front pocket, and here we go. Here you <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. Get, get that backdrop fixed. Well, after our first show that we had, I got a, an email from a member of iStockphoto.com who had asked me, he's getting ready to buy lights. And mm. he said, you know, he recognized me from, from the show and said, hey, you know, what what should I get? That is a great question. And, you know, if I had if I had like a dollar for every time I got an email with that exact question, 
Oh, we'd be buying lights for everybody. We'd probably have lights for everybody, yeah. I think it's a it's an excellent thing for us to talk about on the show because everybody's asking that question. And you always see it on the forums. You always see it everywhere. And it's probably a bigger question than what camera should I buy because these things are going to be around a lot longer than your camera technology will. That's a good point. And uh, I, th- I think going into this, we can probably come up with three really good solutions to like an intro kit. Probably the first approach would be portable flash units. Yeah, like a speed light type thing. Right, and we can talk a little bit about that. Well, those are probably good for people to start with because for the most part, people probably already have one. That's true. I have a couple laying around. And they're fairly inexpensive. Some of the higher tech ones, you start getting into some pretty serious dollars, but they do offer you, you know, you can stick them on a camera, you can take them with you, you can stick them out in a field somewhere. Right, and portability is probably the biggest thing you get with that and i can't take for example my alien bee to a party you know walk well, you around holding just stand it. Up with a sore yeah, thumb it you, a gotta, little... you gotta have a, someone to walk with you right but the point and i you know and, and a plug <laughs> would have well, to be yeah. around but the thing about a, a strobe is that you can if you had to you can mount it on your camera or you can have it on a tripod you know with you or even hold it off to the side and you've got something that's much more portable and can be applied in a studio right. setting as well so that's definitely a consideration and you, you can tether them you can you can get little adapt like a little hot shoe that right. you can plug a PC socket in to get it away from your camera so you're not stuck with leaving it on top of your camera and bouncing it off of the ceiling or a wall or into a reflector. Then you can buy little bubble slaves now that can actually your portable strobe doesn't have a built-in slave. Just right below it, you can put one of these bubble, bubble slave devices, which will trigger that flash from any other strobe light in the room. And they're fairly inexpensive. I, I did one with, um, I had an old Vivitar flash. And I just bought a hot shoe with a PC socket. Okay. And had a little little tail that dangled off of it. And at the end of that PC, I just stuck a little bubble slave in it and it worked. And there you go. Yeah. And that's probably one of the best ways to approach this this issue of what should I buy out of the gate? Because I wouldn't say you have to jump into multiple lights right away. You could really do a lot with just one and, and maybe a good modifier. And you can still put light modifiers on strobes. I mean, that's a very common thing. There's light stand mounts that have a hot shoe type receptacle and also a hole for an umbrella right or you know softbox mounts i've seen even a, a couple of guys get pretty creative with homemade situations where they wanted to use an existing softbox and built sort of a mount to hold their strobe and you know, that's a totally legitimate thing to do the only thing you really have to watch with something like that is with a softbox on a flash unit is you're really cutting a lot of the light power away from it so you, you do have to run wider apertures or higher isos when you're doing something like that right and and actually, we should probably talk a little bit about guide numbers here because you're probably talking about a pretty significant strobe. In other words, the power needs to be there. Right. A lot of the little strobes that come with your camera, for example, where you buy the accessory kit, might not have the kick that you need. You're probably look, looking at like a guide number of 100 or 120 to really give you the power that you'll need to, to do a lighting setup or use any kind of modifiers at that point. And then you're you're starting to get into the more expensive probably. speed lights as well. right. Which leads us into uh, another option, which might be a beginning strobe kit. Right. A mono light or Alien B or one of these other setups that allows you to have a, a light stand, a modifier, and a, and a standalone mono light. And really, the price is going to be close. Right. Especially when you start talking about multiple speed lights of the higher tech variety. Right. For the price of two real high-end speed lights, you could buy a really nice Alien B, for instance. Sure. Or calumet light or and maybe a good light panel or a reflector to, to use for a fill i think what you'll gain in with a mono light is going to be things like recycle time 
you'll have to have external power in most cases, like a plug somewhere. In, right. in, in you lose the, the portability, the you lose portability, portability, but you get a, a higher output light. You gain power for sure. You, and probably, I mean, if you wanted to get really technical, you probably gain some consistency in terms of quality of the light, right. perhaps. But that's one way to go. And that gives you, I think, again, one light. You can really learn an awful lot. And I think Paul Buff even mentioned that when he was on the show. You know, start out with one unit that you know is going to be applicable later on. For example, if you start out with an Alien B B800 beginner's kit and a nice big umbrella, you can shoot with that for a long time with no wants. I mean, you eventually you'll want to begin to light your background with another light or things like that, but you're not throwing away that B. You're going to use that for another part of your setup or just add another B and have a two light setup. So you're really investing in something that you can build on. Personally, when I started out with a portable strobe, and tried to bring that into my shot with my Alien B. The portable strobe became the bottleneck. So I was stuck with the recycle time of the portable strobe and things like that. So you might want to think about that up front when you make the investment that you might want to go right into a monolight. Well, actually, while we're talking about going into an investment, we should probably talk about the difference between, like, say, a monolight and a Pax and head system. That's a good point. As Paul was mentioning, basically every light you have your flash tube, your circuitry, and your capacitor and your controls. I mean, essentially, if you boil it down into that, with a monolight, you have everything self-contained in one single unit. And there's plenty of examples on the site of what these look like. For instance, an Alien B or Calumet Travel Lights or, you know, Bronicolor makes them or Bronicolor isn't even a company. Sure. <laughs> Photogenic. <laughs> Photogenic, Alien Chrome. You know, everyone has their own version of the monolight. And now a Paxson head system uses the same components, except for they take that capacitor out of the light assembly and they put it into a big power pack on the floor and all of your lights that at that point just have your receptacle and your modifier on them plug into the pack. And the benefit is you have all of your controls in one location uh, that that's you can what I was say, say, this bank, I want to cut the power by two thirds or whatnot. Right. I think what you pick up is the advantage of having, like you said, the controls are in one location and now a lot of them are smart enough that you can dial in certain lighting setups. And since all the power is coming from the same place, you can trigger multiple heads from one location without the use of, of slaves and all of that. And so a lot of times folks starting out will invest in a good power pack and maybe one head and then build their system from there so that down the road they can you know, you continue to use that power pack where your controls are to fire multiple strobes and, and it can store your different setups, for example. If you wanted to just set up the same thing each week or you have two or three setups that you go between frequently, your pack knows what to do. And so you just plug in your heads and you, you go from there. In addition, you know, another benefit too is say you have two packs, you know, your main pack and a backup pack. Well, if you go on a shoot with a monolight and your capacitor goes bad, that light's dead. Good point. Where with the power pack, if your pack goes bad, you just pull the other pack in and you're powering your entire setup again. And you don't plug the power pack into something, right? No, you do. Okay, so there's a, still well, a there's, power Well, there's two different types of system. They do have battery power packs Okay. and then standard power packs. Ellen Chrome makes one. It's called the Ranger Series. We were using it when we were at the New York shoot for the Istocalypse event. Okay. It's a small power pack. It's kind of like about the size of like a shoebox standing on its end. And it's a battery and you can plug two strobes into it. Right. And it's small enough that you could take it out on the street, well, if you had an assistant. So with that, you have the portability of a smaller system, but now you can you can take a lot more light with you and you have a lot more power to, to play with. One of the disadvantages, I would say, of, of the power packs are that now you have a wire going to every head from one place in your studio. Right. So pretty much guaranteed you're going to have wires running across the subject area. But with a monolight, 
you still have you, they still have to get plugged into something too. Right. So if you have it's, if you have outlets on every side of your room, you might be okay, but you're going to run into the same thing if you have one outlet on the left right. side and yeah, yeah, depending so. on the length of your cable exactly that's, that's coming from your light, you might be moving your power pack in some place that you don't want it. Right. And cost-wise, I think you're going to be pretty close if you go for a power pack and a head. I think probably pack a little more, a little bit more right, than you would with just a monolight. Now, one reason that I keep stalling on building my studio, you know, I know when I buy lights, I'm going to be buying something that I'm going to be having for years. And in the back of my mind, I keep telling myself that I want a ring light. Okay. Yeah, that's I I know that they're expensive. (laughs) I know they cost a lot, but I know that I want one of those. And if I go with a full monolight system, I, I can't introduce that ring light into my system. Right. Ring lights are powered off of a power pack because there's no place to stick the capacitor when you're trying to hold it on the end of your camera. Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And that may be the deciding factor for some folks if they know that they're going to be doing beauty, you know, or glamour photography. And that's a big part of the effect that they're after. Then that, that might make the decision right there. Well, at least now it is. I heard one photographer say that that's so two years ago. So. Yeah, that, and we just heard from uh, a guy who told us that he built his own ring light out of some wood and some 60 watt light bulbs. So if you're going that route, that's a totally different. And we might as well talk a little bit about while we're at it. Do it yourself or setups? Like, yeah, but let's hold that to the end. And let's talk a little bit about hot lights because it's still a very viable way to go. Actually, prior to our two recent interviews that we've done, uh, I was pretty much ready to abandon hot lights completely. I I think I was thinking along the same lines, but now I'm, I'm kind of thinking twice. And one of the definitely one of the things that's to me been valuable with hot lights and I started out with hot lights. Sure. What I did learn was that you learn an awful lot about lighting setups because the light's always on. So when I twist it, I can see exactly what the scene what it does to the scene and there's something to be said about that I think. Especially someone that's probably not familiar with lighting and they're looking to get used to seeing what lights do. I mean, that would definitely help a lot with when you're lighting your scene and seeing which way the nose shadows fall and et cetera, things right. like that. And to be honest, now when I set up a strobe, that image of the hot light is what's in my mind. I kind of imagine what's going to happen when the strobe goes off only because I've seen it so much with the hot light. And you can get some pretty good deals on, on hot lights because the bulbs are of various wattages and things like that. I think, for example, I got a whole small kit for a little over $200 and that was used, but I'm, I'm just trying to give an example of a setup that might be pretty inexpensive that would include a small softbox, a light stand, and a 500-watt bulb. That's a professional but photographic bulb. Along those lines as well, there's always the Home Depot approach. <laughs> which is, I don't know why those lights got branded as the Home Depot lights. No I, matter what I forum know. you're on, they're called Home Depot that's lights. That's right. And do, I, do people not like Lowe's? Maybe that's the case. <laughs> but everybody can imagine, you know, you're walking down the uh, the electrical aisle in Home Depot or whatever, and there they are, the uh, the big work lights. The big that you painter's can, lights. Yeah, absolutely. Have you tried using them at all? Um, in the early days, I did. And I almost caught a rug on fire <laughs> you need to be careful with that but yeah i mean they give off an they get you know it's 500 watt light now the color temperature was different then again if you're using custom color white balance that is a good point because the color balance i i mean i distinctly remember it was very different than like the photoflex bulb that i used for a while the starlight it just had a much more natural light color than the Home Depot lamp. And part of that was because my uh, the particular camera I was using only had certain settings for white balance. You couldn't, no, you couldn't necessarily go, right, you couldn't do custom very easily with it. But that, that plays into it. So your camera will have a little bit to do with that as well. But the Home Depot approach is, is pretty valid, I would say. 
I'm sure we'll we'll continue to get this the email <laughs> questions and so, the, <laughs> so we haven't solved the, the big mystery of what should I buy? No, but we gave some options. I think we gave three or four good good beginning points. Hopefully, we gave people enough information to to make some decisions, and that's what it's all about. And that's all we have for the third episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to visit studiolighting.net to check out the show notes for links and additional information. There you can also find links to Bill and Ed's photography as well. And don't forget, you can email us or send us an mp3 at studiolighting at gmail.com, and we'll try to answer your questions on the show. I'm Bill Crawford. And I'm Ed Hidden. See you next time. <laughs>